Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 45, the uh, Northeast uh, Motorsports uh, throwback edition uh, slash NASCAR uh, 2021 preview uh, part one edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Phil. It's a uh... Glad to be back on for another show. I'm ready to uh, talk about with um, the Northeast Modifies with our guests and, and maybe talk about uh, the beginning of the next NASCAR season. Yep, we're going to be talking about 2021, probably going to focus mostly on the cup side because our guest tonight uh, is someone that can connect based on his current job, uh, his, his side gig, of course, and uh, because for all of us, including for myself, for Josh, and for our guests, this is definitely a passion project. Uh, it's somebody that I've uh, also been friends with on Twitter for a long time. Great, well, well-spoken, writes great uh, articles, takes great pictures, but he knows a lot about the mid-90s and early 2000s and until today which is around the same time that I got into this sport. Uh, Jeff Brown, uh, writer and photographer sh- for Short Track Scene, thanks for coming on the GSP, giving us a little bit of your time tonight. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, so, I mean, we've been talking about uh, doing this for a while, you know, uh, once the pandemic, you know, hit, and we were talking about, you know, bench racing about, history and i felt like this week timing all worked out and it kind of works in terms of this time next week they're going to be qualifying for the 500 um where kyle Larson's going to win the poll i've been saying that for weeks now um but one person uh that you know i i think about it like we'll we'll kind of get into it i think we could kind of get into it right now it doesn't matter uh because of the news of the day where um, one of the pieces of news, multiple pieces that came out of this particular organization, um, which until proven otherwise, I believe is a Ponzi scheme. Uh, Rick Ware Racing uh, got another charter and now they have what amounts to four. They're connected to four charters, uh, counting the Petty 44 car uh that that was brian scott piece of crap that ended up they went and took that one over which is basically the 51 um and then they have two other they they have and three other charters so four of the 40 cars in the daytona 500 are going to be rick ware cars and you know our connection jeff is with of course ryan priest the former modified champion he's run tqs here and in jersey and whatever when they run the the winter tq series indoors he's one of the best young talents that we've gotten out of the northeast in many years and a lot like many other northeast drivers he's gotten basically gotten the rod you know no lube uh, for lack of uh, another term, uh, last year was a nightmare scenario for them, uh, the 37 team. And now 
the 37 team has to qualify on time for the Daytona 500 or else it could probably um, derail whatever plans they have. Uh, of course, Ryan Priest has already started to um, plan out driving his own number six up uh, up there in Connecticut and up there in like Thompson, a couple other tracks, I think, to run as much as he can. So I guess we, we go and start with that. We start with how um, the the charter system and how a certain person can have and, and them inspire alone have shown how farcical completely farcical the uh, charter system is but also connecting to our kind of like overriding topic of northeast guys um you know thinking about ryan priest to a lesser extent you know Corey lajoy because of his father and grandfather um being locked in because of that uh with the 37 charter um thoughts on the charter system and all that but also about some of the northeast guys that we have out there currently in uh, nascar's big three series you know the chart i've never i've never been a huge fan of the charter system i it's one of those things that there was there's a line there's a line that came up uh, tony johns um, you've seen him on twitter for years and he's a an excellent writer and he made a comment a couple of years back when they started announcing all the postseason layoffs and so forth and he says this is that time when you realize where the th- thing you love the sport you love that's a living breathing entity at the end of the day is just a business and that's kind of that's kind of the part that i question is we've heard we've heard for so many years how important the charter is and how necessary a charter is to make a team work financially we know that the payouts for a non-charter team are abysmal i mean that's there's that's why you don't see any entries beyond the basic 36 at some of these shorter tracks and this would be kind of tragic regardless of who was in 37 frankly because it just feels like you're taking a car that has a better than average chance of being competitive and replacing that car with a guaranteed entry that's guaranteed to run about 30 32nd. And don't get me wrong, I'd love to see I'd love to see a team like Rick Ware Racing improve to where they can be a top 20 team, but it doesn't feel I don't know. It, I I don't want to badmouth a team, but at the same time I don't you you just feel like some teams are there occupying the space and Maybe they're riding out, you know, maybe they're doing what Trackhouse is doing. They're trying to ride out this year and see what happens next year with a new car, with a new platform. I'm just, I don't know. I we've, I feel like we've seen this game before. And it's especially disappointing that Ryan Priest is the victim, so to speak, in all of this. I mean, he's he didn't have to take, you know, you can always say he didn't have to take 24, a 24 race deal guaranteed because that seems to be all they're really committing to unless they can find sponsorship to ride out the rest of the schedule he didn't have to take it he could have come back to, back to ed partridge and race modifieds all year but at the same time there is a you know he's starting to establish himself down there and maybe i'm biased but i think he probably deserves to be down there but that's that's just one of those situations where you hate to see you hate to see teams that seem like they have more of a chance to win getting replaced by teams that seem more like they're built not to. And that's, I guess that's just part of the, part of the business aspect of racing. You hope teams will turn it around, but a lot of that's dollars too. Yeah. And, and I, I've never understood this whole, I mean, this farce uh, with Rick Ware has been going on for decades. Um, and I don't know where the hell this money's coming from. I mean, his son, I, I get the notion of his son, Cody, 
being able to race. And now not only is Cody going to be able, he's going to be, he's going to be able to say he's raced in the, uh, the Rolex 24, albeit, I mean, I'm not even to start with, with that. I, we talked about that Josh and I a couple of times, I think, um, the dumbest thing that's ever been done in a sports car in a, in a sports car event by based on, or I think that was the terms. I, I might be getting it wrong uh, by Bo Barfield uh, when it comes to Austin Dillon in that car. But then I think they gave him like an hour of coverage on the race uh, driving that piece of crap in the Rolex 24. Cody Ware is going to drive in the Rolex 24 Daytona 500, better than average chance of making the Indianapolis 500. Um, God knows, they might just try to run the double with them too, which would be un- unbelievable. Um, not because it's great, because he, he sucks. But, um, but you know, like, you think about the drivers, it started with John Andretti. It's like, oh, yeah, we had John Andretti. Tony, God rest his soul, Tony Stewart, Robbie Gordon, who's a freaking badass. Tony Stewart, who's one of the greatest race car drivers ever. And and Kurt Busch, of course, great driver. And Cody Ware. That's that's where we're going now. Um, Josh, I know um, we've spent a lot of time on these... uh, teams like uh, Rick Ware and, and Spire specifically. Um, what were your thoughts on the news of, I guess, the new charter list that um, the Pocris put up there? And um, uh, it's on J-Ski, of course, because J-Ski rules. Um, in terms of uh, some of the things that came out today uh, regarding that. Well, I mean, for the, the charters, like, it's just really hard to follow like who owns which um you know charter for each team and like you talked about like the Brian Scott 44 like like I I forgot about like him being like in the 44 car and everything and then now it's you know like it's someone else who owns that team now and it's it's just really hard to follow and it ma- makes it confusing and you know I think Ryan Priest like He's just had a lot of terrible luck uh, as a cup driver. And, um, I mean, the 37 team wasn't that great overall. I mean, even with all the crashes, but, like, he doesn't really deserve to uh, lose his ride or or not get a a full ride um, in that car. And, I mean, just the charter system in general, like, I mean, I feel like, you know, we've been in it for five years and it still doesn't make any sense to me. Um, And, you know, like the business aspect, you know, all the numbers, like I'm a numbers guy and like, I feel like nobody's like, there hasn't been like a, I guess, like a analysis of like what the benefits are actually are for the charter system and everything. Like, it just seems like we've just been told that it's good for the sport and, uh, that it helps the teams stay financially viable uh, and, you know, helps new teams like get a place or foothold in the sport and maybe eventually they can grow. But, you know, we've yet to see any evidence of that. And I think, you know, with uh, Rick Ware racing, uh, Spire racing, like, like, yeah, like they're growing in, in numbers as far as like their, their cars and 
uh, you know, maybe their ability to pay drivers or whatever. But at the same time, like they're not actually growing in competitiveness and maybe they will. But we've yet to see uh, any evidence of that. And, you know, at the same time, you have the regular teams like Hendrick, uh, Gibbs, Penske, Stuart Haas, that they continue to field teams and and you know they have drivers or i guess like they have too many drivers as far as like their ability to put people in rides and you know you see that with like gibbs and uh the 20 car kind of changing uh every few years and and there being uncertainty in um some of the other rides um in the more financially viable teams but uh it you know like i talked with matt weaver like a couple of years ago when this came out i was dming with him and he, you know like he said the rich get richer with this and that's kind of what it's looking like and it seems like to me like even with all of that like there's there hasn't been like any like formal like i guess quantitative analysis of like where we're going with uh the charters and just seems like it's the ability for a big team like if they decide to go belly up like they can get out really quick without um having any uh hang-ups or anything and i feel like it hasn't made the sport any better than what it was five years ago and it's um at best it stayed stagnant from where it was and i think um it's definitely gotten worse you ever play the board game the game of life yeah and no. I, I'm a ticket to ride fan myself, but uh, the the old versions, I don't think they have it in the newest versions. The old versions used to have basically you'd get to the end and you had the option. You could peel off to like countryside acres or whatever. And if you didn't think you were going to win, you could basically camp out there. If you thought you were going to win, you just went ahead to millionaire estates and you counted your money at the end and you won. And in some ways, these chart, a lot of these charters, it feels like some teams are kind of peeling off early. They're accepting. And part of that is, you know, what value, what value are they going to get for a sponsor? I remember, and, you know, going back to years ago, you used to hear like Martin Truex had made the comment, Martin Truex Sr. had made a comment that, you know, it's easier to get a sponsor to spend $3 million in Bush than it is to spend 400000 on a Bush North program because Bush, you get a full TV deal. And similarly, you would hear people say, well, it's more valuable to spend $2 million sponsoring Junior's deck lid than it is to sponsor a Bush car because you'd get the full exposure of being part of the Dale Junior empire. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously the, the value is there with some of the, you know, they're taking, they're probably taking less in sponsor money to get these teams running, obviously. And, but at some point you have to, you kind of have to step up the demand so that you can be competitive and Again, I like you. I hope we have an ownership crisis in a sense. We have no, there's, you know, you don't see any. Who's who's the next Xfinity team that could actually make the jump from Xfinity to Cup? Other than colleague, nobody. Exactly. There are no team. You don't have a Bill Baumgartner. You don't have a Frank Cece. You don't have you don't have a team owner that has you know like a Buzz McCall or yeah. Mark Rippon. You don't have guys like that who are poised to make the leap, largely because those top team owners are already cup affiliated or they Dale jr. So as long as you don't have that, you need some outside ownership because frankly, the guys at the top are starting to look at succession plans and there are no, that's, that's a tough part. I guess they were hoping maybe that the charters would be an appealing thing that somebody could pass, you know, that once Rick Ware has this charter, he could sell it to Matt Colling, let's say, and then Colling gets his deal for next year. But, we just haven't seen it play out yet. 
and it feels like there has been there's been ample opportunity over the last four or five years to see some to see some of these things become the commodities they're supposed to be. We just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, I mean, great points there uh, by you, Josh, and also Jeff. I I mean, <clears throat> for Rick Ware, to me, no matter what, until otherwise proven otherwise, they. I give credit that he employs people to go and prepare the cars and do all that. And they go out to the racetrack for that. Good. The fact that he's able to somehow or another go and run in all of these series all over the world and get what amounts to guaranteed, um, you know, uh, spots, in in a lot of these big races, I, I it shows that there isn't really a quality control aspect to that, or that you need to have a there's like a performance clause where you know like in sport other sports where you have to be able to do a bare minimum, like a you have to go and use certain amount of your cap to act like you're being competitive, but you're not really. They're doing the bare minimum and they're taking the bot like they're they're going and scraping the bottom. I remember somewhere along the line, you had to be able to perform with a charter. And if you didn't do well for like three years in a row, then you were you had problems. But. Of course, when you consider all the BS that they're doing amongst all of these charters, it, it's and they're all swapping them, doing all kinds of things. Like, like I'm looking on JSKI actually right now, and I'm trying to see how many of them are actually still with their original organization, same number. I, I, I mean, even if it, even, even like renumbered is not as big of a deal. JTG did have um, uh, two charters actually at one point, which they would sold. Uh, I didn't know this, um, I, or I may have, but I didn't notice it. The 37 charter was sold to Penske for the 12. The 7 charter, which is whatever bullshit charter, the 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 nine, what originally was the Marcus Ambrose number nine has become uh, multiple different things to where it's now Rick Ware. Uh, a couple of originals. The Germain charter is the 23 car, which is ironic since they announced today Ty Dillon will be driving the 20. So the debut of 2311 racing in NASCAR Cup Series racing will have Ty Dillon in the car driving the Bush Clash on the road course, which, I mean, you're going to have you're going to have whoever 24 cars are going to be in this the bush clash we'll talk about it probably at some point um uh it was a 24 drivers 22 will be in we figured that Ty Dillon was going to get a ride and it looked and I think I talked about it uh it was a Clayton Caldwell and and I and Spencer Cowan talked about it on talking in circles where Ty Dillon was going to get a ride with 2311 so I can get the R&D, get some notes, and um, be able to use that in two weeks when they have to run the Daytona road course 
for the um, second race of the Cup Series season. Of course, Bubba not being the greatest um, road racer also probably played a part in that. Uh, so, guess a little symmetry there. Of course, uh, Ty Dillon will be driving Toyotas this year, driving, trying to make the race with Gone Brothers which is a team that, you know, unlike Rick Ware, unlike Spire, which is just basically your for the business aspect of it, they are actually trying to run and they don't have the money. Um, we'll see what nine, the 96 car will be able to do uh, here next week. I'm just going through this live right now. Yeah, the 16 became the six for No Neck. They're probably going to replay No Neck's crash. 8,000 times between this time now and this time next week. The BK Racing actually had a chart. Oh, good Lord. Um, yeah, that's a Rick Ware car, of course. Um, yeah, the 24 became the 9. Everybody knows that. The Paul Menard Charter is a Starcom car. 31 became the 8. 32 is now the 21. The... Circle Sport car, which I th- I forget who that was. was Falk, the uh, thirty three. Well, it was yeah. thirty three at one point. Yeah, yeah. Landing Castle. Joe, there was Landing Castle. Joe Falk, Landing Castle. Being a good catch on that. That was an original charter. Went to Levine. It was still Circle Sport, and that went to Go Fast, which is now um, uh, B J McLeod and Matt Tiff's. Uh, team live fast uh, racing and then the 38 what was originally the uh, 38 uh, front row went to was a lease to TriStar and Rick Ware is now the number 52 Uh, the 43 charter went and was leased to the fifth to Rick Ware for one year but the 43 is still the 43 um 48 becomes a five because the 48 team basically becomes uh kyle larson's team the 88 is the 48 in terms of sponsorship um and then yeah the 24 became the nine and the 20 the current 24 uh was was um it was the five car yeah, it was a five car. Exactly. It was a five. Yeah, five and 24. There you go. And then um, let's see. 48 is a five. Uh, 51 H Scott car is now the 15 through different ownership. The 55 is Martin Truex's car. Uh, the premium motorsport. So that's Phil Parsons and. Um, Jay Robinson was sold through multiple people, um, was uh, was sold, and then somewhere along the line, it says it was sold from H. Scott, the 46 with uh, Michael Annette, to the 77, which was Eric Jones, became the 37, and they had a three-year deal, and that three-year deal expired with... Um, the guy Doug Stringer, and then that became the seven, which is convoluted. Um, 
these kinds of shell games used to go with owner points too. They oh yeah, to, that's exactly that what it is. Yeah. Especially, you know, the bush ra- bush nor- the bush races and you'd get you'd start looking ahead of the season and say, "Oh geez, who bought who bought points for this? Who bought points for that?" And No, that's what's going to happen next or, week when we look yeah. at the 300 <laughs> because now with the way that the points are and how they de- they go and determine fields, if you have to be able to buy good points if you're a new team like our motorsports i don't know what they're going to do in regards to quality i don't know how they're going to do qualifying for daytona i guess they're they're going to run regular qualifying for daytona but you need to buy points it's the same thing i mean it's 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 going and putting painting it painting it a different way and then it's the same deal, you know, like it's the same house, you know, that's all this is. It's BS. Um, and I can't totally knock. You got to remember this. Rick, Ware actually put Andy Sice in a cup car and I got to give him, I got to give him credit for where credit's due. I, that was um, Andy Sice was a guest recently on the black flag podcast out of Maine. And he talked about the opportunity of being able to run a cup race at Loudon was basically like this, you know, I can die happy pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to do, love to do more, but realistically he managed to, and he said, you know, I might just, he said, I might call that my one and done because, you know, if I could go run a second race and not qualify a crash or something, that one, I actually finished. Okay. I probably did as good as I'm going to be able to do in that level of equipment with the money that I have. Yeah. And I, Andy Sice, of course, was originally supposed to do, uh was supposed to be the driver for, of the O2 Hour Motorsports uh I, Xfinity not, program. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what happened there. I yeah. he, he kind of went about it on the podcast I was listening to. He about talked about it and then he didn't. And I think it's one of those things probably just better left not discussed. I Yeah. Not, you know, better not to but I I would like to see him behind the wheel, but at the same he's, time, you he's know, we'll, a, he's a good he's a good shoe. He's done some Great work. Uh, he's done great work up here, but he's also done good work down south. He was yes, in an ARCA car. I mean, he, he can do what he, but that's the thing. It's kind of a northeast bias, which I feel, I don't know about you, Jeff. We'll get into it. I Let me just finish this. The, sure. the 60, I went over 62, the old furniture row charter, which was the championship charter, finished third went to Spire. Yes. And then Spire has leased that out to um uh Justin Marks for um uh the ninety nine track house uh, t- deal. Um I figure somewhere along the line Justin Marks will get one of Rick Ware's deals. And I think one of the other ones is also gonna one of those is gonna go to um uh mac colleague yeah. uh, and that's i think that's where those are gonna go uh that that convoluted 62 premium motorsports one will be the main charter for spire and um that's why they have it in the order they do because they went and did this chart so thanks to whoever made this for jayski uh, St. Bocris deserves some credit, I think. Yeah, so, and I know you posted something earlier. Bringing it full circle, it is kind of a, somebody had said on Twitter, and I didn't get a chance to fact check it myself. I just happened to see it during my lunch break at work. But uh, somebody did say that one of the rare charters 
is going to be in its third year where if it finishes outside the top 33, we get to see if NASCAR actually does any sort of promotion relegation like they've like they threatened that they could, but haven't really pulled that card yet. So it could be that actually could be a story to watch to see if they were forced to sell that charter specifically to Trackhouse or to somebody else who's a taker. 2311. Yep, they could be. They keep talking about them wanting a second car, and that could be that could be the foundation for it. You never know. Well, that's that's in its own right. I mean, we I, I think Jeff, you and I, with the things and and Josh. I mean, the charter. The we talk about charters. We can go off on tangents like charters. Yes. Go off on on things like who's going to go where and Toyota drivers. Like you think about John Hunter leaving cup to go and drive a truck for Kyle Busch thinking he might be able to get back to cup. You have Ty Dillon getting out of a full-time ride, probably declining because he didn't have all the money to get to drive that front row car, even though he would have been a better driver than Michael McDowell. Um, Well, there's a lot of people better than Michael McDowell as a NASCAR driver. If Michael McDowell was at the Rolex 24, I wouldn't say that, but as a stock car driver, it's a different story. Um, he decided to go run limited races with uh, Gaunt Brothers, and then he's going to run the star car uh, for Kyle Busch, or not Kyle Busch, for Joe Gibbs. Um, probably he's going to get a new truck at some point, too. Uh, they're, they're hedging on the 2311 expanding to a four car organization, which means we're, we're somewhere along the line. Some of these, you know, uh, brickware charters probably are going to go away anyway. I think Spire and Rickware are in this for the business aspect of it. Uh, you know, you look at Starcom, uh, they're, they're trying to compete, but you know, when you have Quinn Huff and they don't have the best equipment, uh, I mean, Quinn Huff sucks and then they don't have the best equipment. So it's kind of like whatever. I think BJ McLeod and uh, Matt Tift, of course, he's not going to be able to drive anymore. BJ McLeod's been a grinder forever. Um, I think their long-term goal with the new car is to compete. Same thing with Trackhouse. Same thing with Matt Colleague, of course, who's literally the only owner that's going to come into this sport uh, with, um, I mean, outside of Tony Stewart and Matt Colleague, I mean, there's nobody that's really young, uh, relatively young. I mean, whatever, I guess you, you could quote, do air quote young. That's in that's in ownership right now. It's, you count? it's just too expensive. It's you know, I mean, you used to be able to, uh, you used to be able to get a get a team together and go racing, but now you need you need an empire to do it. And that's yeah. years ago. Years ago, there was an interview with Humpy Wheeler somewhere. I forget it was. I forget it was a book, a magazine. I think it was a magazine interview. And he had made the comment to where he said, I don't think you're going to see a situation in, say, 10, 20 years where you won't see a track that's not part of some sort of larger empire. And what he basically was talking about was what SMI became, what ISC became, what Penske kind of was before they sold everything off. 
that basically these it just the economies of scale benefit you to be a larger operation and Kyle Petty kind of hinted at it in the late 2000s. He said, you know, by by capping the teams at four, you're pretty much setting a goal for the teams to be at four because that's going to be the way you can be the most efficient. You can, the you know, all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense to buy these fancy expensive chassis dinos and four post shakers and God knows what else as long as you can justify it by building four cars or more worth of equipment. Now, now who know? again, next year is going to be a lot of unknowns, but if you have money, you're still ahead of the game. And the younger, the younger guys just don't have that kind. They don't have those dollars, those billions of dollars to throw away at it yet. <laughs> yet. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, but, um, you know, it's, I guess where we're at in 2021 and, uh, you had COVID time and, all kinds of things like that uh it's i don't know it it throws me off uh you know as a fan and it makes things a little bit sketchy oh they might be able to if they're going to be running the bush clash in the rain that'll be cool um that would that would be it'll be a disaster but it'll be hilarious probably means that it probably means a 23 car could win, which would be for maggot Twitter, for people that hate Bubble Wallace. Well, it's, it's not Bubble. It'll be Ty Dillon, though. Well, so. no, I get it. But the point is it, it's going to say, oh, yeah, oh, the 23 car won with Ty Dillon. What the hell is Bubba's going to do? He's not going to be able to drive. He's not going to – he needs – he could lead – he could get the lead 450 laps, and he still wouldn't win the 500, as somebody went and sent me when I, I – I replied to a a post uh, Bubba Wallace is one of something involving Black History Month, um, and of course, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. I could go. Yeah, I really, I, I've I've mellowed out at this point in my life. Uh, I used to be a lot angrier back on the old show, whatever NASCast, and it was effing awful to listen to. Bad production value the whole bit but i used to go on rants and i tell you with some of the crap that we have to deal with in our society i don't know how ours i mean i get why our society is where it is because of some of the morons these these boomers karens dipshits like the loser him and his whore of a wife that that's botoxed out and she's going to look like a freaking Hummer by 30, and they're going and yelling at freaking LeBron James. I'm not even a LeBron James guy, but they're yelling at LeBron James. There's like 25 people there. I mean, that's like 25. There, there, there would usually be like 50 people at Atlanta Hawks games, but okay, so now it's only 25. But you're yelling at LeBron James, and you act like LeBron James is going to take that shit. It's LeBron James. It's the same way as if you're talking shit to to a, a great driver. You talk shit, you're gonna get sent. It's called it's called consequences. People want to go and go cancel culture. It ain't cancel culture if you do fucked up shit. It's on the ticket. It's on the deal. Like, come on. Like, it, it's it's common sense, but most people don't have any effing common sense. That's why our country is where it is. You know. Uh, and 
going and talking shit to Bubba Walls. Of course, people talk shit to Bubba Walls. They wear sunglasses and they're sitting in their pickup truck and they go and, and talk shit to Bubba Walls because they're never going to go and see him. Because if they ever saw him, they'd be like, oh, can I have your autograph? Fuck you. You know what? Because that guy has, and, and people that want to hate on him, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I have to do it. People that want to hate on him and hate on the guys like, the you know like the Ryan Priests and the guys that have had to go through shit to get there. It's not it's not trust fund baby crap. It's not your grandfather went and guaranteed you something like Austin Dillon. It's not that your dad was a legend like certain people. They had to actually get there. Yeah, they might have had a little bit of help with the. D for D, which is not really all that effective when you really look at it in the grand scheme of things, especially for women and in general. For women that can actually drive, not ones that want to suck dick like freaking Danica Patrick. But, um... <laughs> um oh, I really feel. <laughs> um, no, this is, this is, this is real. This is, this is what the GSP was made for. And and she's taken it in every orifice, and everybody knows it. And uh, and that's the same thing for Natalie Decker too. But um, <laughs> and that's what's going to end up happening to Haley Deegan probably. And and her dad's going to be videotaping it because her dad's a freaking freaking insurrectionist and a in, hillbilly inbred. But um. Any, but she's going to win Rookie of the Year, and every and and everyone's going to talk about it. And Jamie Little's probably I don't know about be, that. You know, I don't know who else is in the Rookie of the Year race for the Truck Series, but she's probably no yeah, because it's a Truck Series. And and the fact is, Jamie Little's probably going to be falling in her bathroom and telling us how her shits look. So so it's like, oh, she's a ve- oh, she's a vegan now. Oh, well, her shits are healthy. That's what we're going to get. We're getting we're going to get that report the same way is Danica Patrick. Everything she did was on, on, on TV. And, and Vince Welsh is going to probably stroke out talking about, uh, about Haley Deegan, the, the way he stroked out when, um, when Ross Chastain won at, at gateway, which is one of the most hilarious, um, calls ever, because the fact that anybody would hire him to be a lead announcer is funny in its own right. But then, like, it was like whether he was taking a crap or whether he was doing a Todd Harris blowing a load, nobody knows. And, and like, I want to I wanna have Dylan Welsh, but, but, but because, because I, I respect Dylan Welsh because he's really good and he bangs out a, a decent-looking race car driver, former race car driver, sort of race car driver. I want to have Dylan Welsh on, but I say so much awful shit about Vince Welsh, I don't think he'll ever come on. And he probably doesn't listen to the show. Most people don't listen to the show. So I can say whatever the hell I want. It's the same way like we talked about this, Josh, last week. We, this is free form right here. This is free form. But um, what the hell is I, – I feel like John Force right now. What the hell is I going on? I mean you, you went on several things. I mean like the – you know, to circle back to the kind of the topic with the charters, I mean, like, 
you know, the saying's always been, you know, in order to make money in racing, you need to have a lot of money. Or, yep. you know, to make a small fortune in racing, you know, you need to have a large fortune. And, I mean, it's still true today, as, as it always been. It's just uh, very, like, on the extreme end of that, uh, so to speak. You know, we still have the billionaires and everything, like Hendrick and uh, Penske and Gibbs um, and all that. And now we have kind of the smaller guys who are kind of making a chip at it, like, rick ware and and the spire guys and all that but it's just extremely on the or it's on the extreme end of that aspect of that saying um so that'll be interesting to see as we uh go through the years like they how how the makeup of the sport's going to change as some of these older owners uh either retire or die off or whatever um and then you know, with Daytona coming up, you know, the rain at the the clash. I mean, they're saying there's reports that it might snow down here in Florida or like rain and snow mix, which uh, that is oh, rare. Oh, that would be awesome. Please, <laughs> but... <laughs> please let it snow in Florida for the clash. That would be the most beautiful thing for, oh, God, Look, to put it on the road possible. course. Put it, put it on the road course and they have to race in slush with those bad year tires. Oh my God, that would be the most beautiful thing ever. I I don't know. I, I'm I have to look in the field, but yeah, that that would be awesome. Probably for freaking Baba Booey, Brad Keselowski would have a great shot because <laughs> he knows about he knows about that snow racing. Deep yeah, Deep Burrito, he Roid Rage. He knows. He probably knows something about that. He's probably you know out. Other than that, I'm looking at this field. Blaney. Blaney, kinda. Um, Bowman knows dirt. Uh, Kyle Busch, yeah, of course, because Kyle Busch. Um, Clyde, Clyde now is driving anything and everything, even though he's the worst freaking driver in the Rolex 24 outside of anybody in the 51 and and anyone that was like a silver or bronze. Uh, yeah, Reddick would be in a good shot too. Yeah, I think that's where. Yeah, because it started because of people talking shit on on Twitter about Bubba, which I think that's why certain people don't want to talk to me anymore, and that's fine. I've I've I'll die on that hill. I have no problem with it. Uh, I've kind of had to change how I go about my fandom uh, at this point in my life because of how people are. Because racing, at the end of the day, for all of us, I think, is supposed to be fun. And it's supposed to be about, you know, being together and enjoying something together. If you're going to start bringing politics and race and whatever into it, it becomes, it isn't about racing anymore. And I've never, I mean, outside of when I went to Bristol... I've never really felt uncomfortable being at a racetrack. I'm sure I got looks, but whatever, I'm there. And then once I open a beer with them, they don't have, they can't say anything because they're like, I'm drinking a beer with them. But it's a sad thing where things have gone uh, in that sense, but we will see. Um, Let's go and turn it around. Let's switch it over to... Um, a topic that kind of also connects to where we're at this time next week, Daytona Speed Week, uh, 
specifically, uh, Josh, I don't know what you're doing, where, if you're, what races you're going to be able to get to or events that you'll be able to get to. We still have to arrange where we're going to be doing our show. Uh, we're definitely doing at least one show next week. Might be able to do multiple, depending, uh, like this week. Uh, but I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw to you, Jeff, in terms of guys that are down there right now, thinking about our Northeast, uh, representation, um, we've in, in terms of the early days, our early times and as fans, we have a lot of representation that's going to be down there working in the Daytona 500. We do. And we got some guys, and we got some guys coming up that's going to be kind of, you know, you've got Derek Griffith actually scored a deal for ARCA this year, which is great. I mean, I, I hope he's able to spin it into something more, but uh, you know, the, the usual, uh, the usual Northeast guys can't really never seem to be able to pull those big name sponsors, not, not anything against them. They just don't have, don't have rich enough daddies or rich enough granddaddies, I guess, but no, it's great to, great to see him involved. Great to see, it's it's great to see a presence. I just uh, once again, I hope we can. Perf- I hope I hope the region can perform under pressure because it's always just been really hard to see, hard to see it all come to fruition, hard to see it all come to come to victory lane. That's that's I mean that's why we all go down there. Yeah, I mean, and also thinking about some of the other guys, like um, you know, in terms of the wrenches that will um be down there the likes or or people that used to wrench um you know i i mean of course frankie stoddard i don't know what his involvement is anymore but you know like i think a booty barker also but you know i don't know i think he's a north carolina guy but uh like i think about zippy uh zippy runs shr they've won a daytona 500 with kurt bush and of course, Zippy, everybody knows him and Tony are tied at the hip uh, for all that they did together, but they weren't able to get that 500. Um, I'll always rue 2008 for the rest of my life, the same way as I rue the two San Francisco Super Bowls that they weren't able to close out. Um 2007 and 2008 um i have a lot of pain it's not just the physical pain uh it's why i have i need to have a podcast and it's why i need josh uh because i could go off on tangents for the rest of my life with all the pain that i feel but um thinking about these guys that have paul wolf of course is another one with brad for all the years they were together in the Daytona 500 with how good they've been on the, the plate tracks. They're not plate tracks anymore, but still Daytona Talladega to never close the deal in the 500. Um, you know, we thought we talked about Ryan priest. I, I, in a lot of ways, I feel like Ryan priest is like Steve park Yeah, and he never, he didn't have like the serious injury plus June bug hanging over his head. Now it's, oh, we don't have sponsorship, which is always kind of like the bugaboo thing. But 
you know, and there there's other Northeast guys over the years that have been able to come down south. But how fair was their shot? Like the Bodine brothers, it all depends. Most people hated the Bodine brothers for whatever reason. Some people loved them. It's all whatever. But, you know, you think about the Bodine brothers, you think about Steve Park. That's for me the guy because Steve Park uh, is like a gem of the earth. But, you know, whatever he had to go through, uh, he had a similar story to what Chase Briscoe has. Um, and hopefully Chase Briscoe is able to ride it out and have a long term deal and he's able to stay healthy. Uh, because if Steve Park was healthy, I think he'd still be driving right now instead of selling batteries and light bulbs. Um, you know, like that's what I'm thinking of. And like, kind of tell us about some of the people that are down there or going to be down there next week uh, that have uh, made a difference up up here in the Northeast area. Uh, to say, I mean... I'm trying to I'm trying to think is unfortunately unfortunately yeah a lot of a lot of those people a lot of those impact players from the northeast have done so kind of kind of a sort of behind the scenes like uh, we were talking about Andy Sice and I believe he said he's working with RCR this year um he was actually and he also lent he's leasing a shop I guess to Jordan Anderson who's make, making a big move up to the Xfinity series this year fan favorite of him but it's yeah it's it's just kind of you know I mean I'd love to see more I love to see get more more northeasterners behind the wheel. It's just the you know, like we've said, the sponsorship aspect of it always seems to always seems to be an issue. But if we can, if that if that means that the northeast has to play a part behind the scenes, if we have to not not so much behind the scenes, but on top of the pit box in the in the crew. I mean, that's I guess if that's the role we can play, that's a role we can play. Yeah, and that's I mean, unfortunately. Uh... You know, we're we're not on the front end of it. Hopefully with Priest, uh, some of the other guys in Xfinity, Trucks, Arca uh, currently, because now they've changed to Bush North and the, uh, the, the West, Winston West into the Arca East and West, uh, that, that we can go and kind of get somebody up there again. Um, Josh, in terms of... Uh, guys that will connect it to because we're not going to have I don't know if we're going to have a show probably we will uh, we'll have one Monday we can kind of go and preview get really kind of hardcore preview the Bush Clash and really get start into the Cup Series preview but like thinking about people like thinking about this field 22 drivers for sure uh are going to be in this or 21 actually 21 are going to be in this this field for the bush clash which will be a a night race on the road course the the full road course for daytona thinking about what we're going to see um what do you look at or who do you look for other than William Clyde Elliott II um, as somebody that would be a, a, a likely a winner 
in this bush clash. It'll be the first bush clash on a road course, of course. Um, uh, you know, like it's probably played out this race uh, for sure. But uh, who do you look at in regards to being able to compete in this deal and um, kind of go and get get the data that they need for a couple weeks from now when it's a points race? Well, I think you got to look at the Gibbs cars and Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. Uh, both of them led laps at the road course race back in August, uh, and they finished second and third in uh, that running there. So I think besides uh, Chase Elliott, I mean, I'd immediately look at those two guys uh, as contenders. And I mean, both of them are very solid road course drivers as well. And they've won at Watkins Glen in the past. Uh, and they've shown their ability to be able to run at the road courses. So, I mean, just immediately looking at uh, those two, I mean, they could definitely be contenders. I mean, Joey Logano also has uh, been pretty decent on road courses. Uh, Brad Keselowski historically has been, uh, had a good record too. So, I mean, I'd look at uh, both of them as uh, being able to, uh, potentially compete and uh, challenge uh, for the Bush Clash uh, title, I guess, um, next Tuesday night. And uh, who knows, I mean, might might show up there after work or something. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, the, the Clash, unlike most years, of course, it would have been, you know, the first stage would have been quiet and then they would have probably wrecked uh, most of the field and uh, it, it probably it's going to be a pretty boring uh, race uh, the way that the weather is I mean at least the way things are it looks like I'm on J-Ski in the weather There, there's going to be weather on Tuesday but there it'll be sunny to actually run qualifying uh, on on uh, Wednesday night when um when uh, Kyle Larson's going to win the pole for the uh, Daytona 500. Um, and it'll, it'll probably be in the 60s. It depends on what his draw is. But, you know, in, in, in terms of a road course race, I, I also would add uh, the Hendrick Motorsports cars because they've become really, really good. Uh, at this road course game, it's not just William Clyde Elliott the second. It's Alex Bowman. Uh, you know, you look at, of course, Larson uh, isn't going to be in this race, but uh, they'll probably talk about him. Uh, you would look at William Byron trying to get more experience. Uh, first race with Rudy Fugel. Uh, they, they'll try to get some good notes. You think about, uh, teams that are kind of changing things up. Um, yeah, Byron, uh, Dylan's keeping his, but who cares? Um, Eric Jones is going to be running with Baxter for the first time. So that'll be, uh, good for both of them. Uh, you look at, um, you look at uh, Nona, yeah. The, the everything else is the same. So uh, the the 43 team will be able to go and run and get some data. Um, Eric Jones is like a mid-range 
road racer, probably not going to contend, but, you know, they're just trying to keep a clean car. So they're going to be going and doing R&D. I figure that Ty Dillon, he's he's like a mid-range road racer at best. Uh, I think he got dumped the one time in Montreal, or not Montreal, um, a Mossport uh, by uh, William Clyde Elliott II. Yeah. So. Yep. Right. Uh, um, for so that I mean he's all right on road course. He's way better than his brother, but that's not shocking. Um, they're gonna want to get data for, uh, but they they'd probably have a good car. Um, the Gibbs cars, as Josh said, should be uh, competitive. Um, I would go with Truex. I mean, I Truex won at Watkins Glen. He's a solid. Yep. He's been a solid road racer for a long time, and I think that probably makes him. I mean, I'm I'm just kind of skimming the entry list, and that's aside from the obvious of saying Kevin Harvick because he seems to be decent anytime he got straps in anywhere. But he hasn't been good on road courses for a while, especially on at SHR. Yeah, I don't remember him being a huge threat in any recently. So I mean, that's yeah. I guess I mean I would have to say either if, if anybody's going to dethrone Chase. It's probably going to be Truex, and more more likely than not, Truex is going to end up getting behind him, wash out in the arrow, and not be able to pass him. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, because they don't have because the other problem is they have that stupid bus stop chicane uh, right before uh, out of turn four oh, before right. they go to the start finish line instead of the you go and slipstream. Or you can go and hook somebody and send them in the woods uh, out of NASCAR 3 and 4, which is how they should keep it. Um, I forgot they were doing that layout this time around. That's kind yeah. of, yeah, that's... Uh, I assume that is. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. But um, uh, they, they should do the regular road course layout. But that what they've done is they are going to run the regular road course configuration for the arrow but they're going to keep whatever the track configuration so they're going to have the little itty bitty spoiler with 750 horsepower i don't care about 750 just let them go and do whatever they want and let them run them tires off and deal with it like that's how it should be bad year can make a good product that's why we have to do all these other things and nascar doesn't know how to make a good product so they have to go and put chicanes and do all kinds of other nonsense that's really where we're at uh but we don't need to be on a road course for the bush clash they're going to wreck cars anyway i figure they're going to run over each other no matter what they do so, oh, they jump over the curb and they knock off the front splitter. Oh, man, we're going to have a caution. Like, for F's sake, who cares? They're going to they're gonna go and run over each other anyway. There's, but, no, points on, there's no points on the line, of course. So, you know, yeah, they're going to do whatever they can to come home with the glory. That's, yeah, I mean, it's 200, what is it, 250,000 to win. And it's a lot of money, even even for them people. Uh, for all of us, 250000 would be life-changing. For them, it doesn't make an effing difference, but it's $250,000. I'd rather they just go and run it on Tuesday night, run it on the Oval, and throw out 80. I mean, Tony Stewart, legendarily, he said it in one of his legendary post-race pressers. He hasn't 
it's like I, I I don't feel good unless I've 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 spent at least one hundred fifty thousand. That was back in twenty twelve. Yeah. So I'm sure that's probably doubled, uh, if not more, uh, on damaged race cars. Um, well, you know, the, the only the only correct answer, of course, is to take these cars down to New Smyrna and run them as part of the World Series. But that, now yeah. that would be a now that would be a bush clash. Everybody would tune in for. But at the, the same real bush clash. Going, but you don't want to ruin what they're doing at New Smyrna either. Yeah, but then but then it would be on like Speed Fifty One, and Bob Dillner would make you char- pay like fourteen ninety nine or twenty four ninety nine, and it would be like some bad like third rate connection, and then you'd miss half the race, and then you'd have like Bob Dillner and some furniture mover, not even like Jim Trado. You'll have like you'll have like Bob Dillner and somebody's somebody's like cousin and they'll be calling the race. I'm like, what the hell is this about? And that'll be calling the NASCAR race. And then Mike joy won't be able to find it because he has a squire senility. So he won't be able to find, find new Smyrna. Jeff Gordon's turtle lips will be so far up Rick Hendrick's ass. He won't get down there. And then Clint Boyer's going to be so drunk. He won't be able to function. So It'll be a loss, but it should be at New Smyrna, or it should be. I, I forget what the other pavement track was. Um, the one that used to run the USAR Pro Cup, where Bobby Gillies down Lakeland, maybe. Yeah, Lakeland. Yeah, that's where. Yeah, the the warehouse now. My mom, my mom originally lived down there, and where uh, Joni Michak and yeah. originally came from, and. That was a good track. They ran um, all kinds of things. Uh, ASA, of course, was there, and uh, they. Uh, that was another place where they could run, and it would have been good. And how about how about they just go to Bubble Ra- Raceway Park and they go and run the Bush Clash? That would be better. But then that the, there would be the point is there would be affecting the sprint cars and the four tens and the late models, but. Um, that's beside the point for now. Um, Jeff, I'll throw it to you. Uh, in terms of like your history, you talked about it like the mid nineties, like talk about some of the guys like we, like we, to me, I, I, like I can come up with names in terms of the old TNN races. I think about Dave Dion uh, I think about, you know, Kelly Moore. I think about, of course, Mike Stefanik. Magic Shoes made it to the Bush series before I was aware of how great he really was before he got there. Um, you know, talk about some of the other guys. I mean, of course, Andy Santer came along later. Um, injuries probably derailed what could have been a bigger career as a driver. But he was—he's a great wrench and a great wheelman, anyway. Um, talk about some of the guys. Are you like Stefanik, of course, legend, um, Hall of Fame, NASCAR Hall of Famer, Mike Stefanik. Uh, you know, like, talk about some of those guys that were around in the mid '90s, Bush North thing that where you started. Like, talk about those people that you connected to along with what you're doing right now 
and sure. how that's kind of um, moved forward. Yeah, what's kind of, well, what's kind of, what's kind of neat about what I what I do because I largely up here. Obviously, we don't have a NASCAR presence in New England really anymore, aside from the federal well, the wheel and modified tour, and the super late model tours that exist now. The, you've got the Pro All Star Series, you have the American Canadian Tour late models, and then you got the Grand State Pro Stock Series. is kind of one of these up and coming leagues that's been developing over the last ten years. They've really been finding their own identity. But what's kind of neat now is that you start you're seeing a second and even a third generation of some of these guys. I mean, Mike Rowe, Mike Rowe was a was a phenomenal driver for Maine who still races in the past super late models. And his son, Ben is making quite a career there. Of course, uh, three t- five time champion, one last three championships, DJ Shaw, his dad, Dale was kind of, kind of sort of famous. You might've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, yeah, there's a lot of, so there's a lot of legacy and I say that and it extends down to the cruise and so forth too. I was actually, I, I like this. Uh, this is kind of a funny one because this was when I was just kind of working, you know, climbing down from the bleachers one night at Oxford, opening opening pass race of the season, and I had a Dave Dion hat on, and I hear somebody say, "Oh, that's a that's the nice hat. I got one of those." And I turn around, it's an older older guy, and he's got a black Dion Brothers racing hat with continental paving on the front of it, and he says, "Except mine says Oxford 250 champions 1992," and it turns out it was one of Dave's brothers, which I thought was kind of funny. I was trying to. It was kind of getting chilly, and I was kind of trying to rush to the bathroom, so I didn't really stick around and chat more with them. And that's kind of a damn shame because it was kind of neat to know one of the Dion brothers was up there in the stands. But they're, you know, they're still involved with it too. Uh, actually, Bruce Bernhardt, uh, there's a guy up here, Wayne Hellowell Jr., who run. He won the Oxford 250 back in 2016, and he, uh, his crew, a lot, a couple of the guys that are affiliated with the crew, Bruce Bernhardt being the owner. Bruce used to crew on as a volunteer on Dave Dion's cars. So they run a, an orange Ford, always a Ford, always orange, same rough orange that the Continental Paving cars were. And it's number 27, which was Dave's number way, way, way back when, before I started following racing. But it's just, it's been interesting to see. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great drivers that, there's kind of kind of different groups of drivers in that era where some some of the guys were bound to move up. Some of the drivers were never really bound for that. They were they were going to be, you know, the the upper levels of racing in the local region were the best they were ever going to see. You know, they just didn't have the money to move up. They had a career back here. Just moving south, like a guy like Andy Santier got the opportunity to move. And he's another one. Uh, Andy Austin, who is the track announcer at Beach Ridge Motor Speedway in Scarborough, Maine. He just started a podcast. Um his own podcast, the open trailer podcast. And it's all interviews with racing legends. He actually brought Andy on recently to talk to him. And that was actually kind of interesting to hear Andy talk about his career and how the opportunity came to move down South. And then the opportunity came to move back and he became a four-time champion up here. And that was all kind of pieced together over a span of, you know, he ran a, ran a car out of a dually trailer out of North Carolina. Then he got hooked up with Joe Bessie, won a championship for Joe. Um, you know, it just kind of kind of snowballed like that until he actually he became he what used to be Andy Santer's team that he acquired through um, through Steve Griswold that was a big time car owner up here. He owned cars for Stefanik, owned cars for Brad Layton. He uh, that became the source of something you were talking about earlier, the diversity program, Revolution yep. Race. Andy Santer became Rev Racing. Yeah, he was a Rev Racing main uh, wrench. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he ran it for a couple of years and then he moved back up north. But so he had, you know, I mean, he had a long involvement 
in the sport, whether as a driver, whether as a crew chief, a driver development guy, because he he actually did some develop. Austin Dillon ran his car for half a season, actually, in in what was then East, the East series. But that's, you know, I mean, he had Andy was a guy that came up roughly when I started because I only started following racing in 95. So I missed I kind of missed the glory days and I missed I, I missed the era when it was still still kind of coming up through the ranks. I mean, there was a, there was spit and polish in the series for sure. You had guys like Kelly Moore that every time they came to the track, the car was, the car was shiny and clean and had no, not a ding on it. And then you'd have guys like Dale Quarterly that the, the car would start out. It was a cut. He'd always get a cutoff body at the start of the season. And so one year it was like the, the old uh, Ricky Hendrick GMAC car, except yeah. car on it. And then as the season went on, the fenders would change colors and more, there would be more duct tape than sheet metal. And, but that was, but the car still can't, could come close to winning races. So it didn't really matter how pretty it was, but those were, those are the days. Yeah. I was watching a dash series. I, I decided to go down a YouTube rabbit hole and I was watching old dash series races. And there was a guy it was like Bristol 94. That was a pig farmer who also planted whatever peanuts and whatever. And Dr. Jerry Punch is like, yeah, they they're busy going and planting crops. So they weren't able to work on the body of their car, but they qualified third and they're running pretty good. If somebody wanted to go and help them plant the crops, they could go and run even better so it's the same thing but dale quarterly my i mean for me dale quarterly he went and transitioned from running uh super bikes ama super bikes and running kawasaki uh super bikes privateer he ran the daytona 200 when the daytona 200 was a thing uh you know he was in that race and then he transitioned to four wheels uh you know you think about you know john surtees uh sir john surtees he he transitioned from two to four wheels there's other great uh racers that went from two to four wheels uh dale quarterly people you know they don't go and think about him, but he, he did that and he won races and he was great on the, he was great on the road courses for sure. Um, he was, he was a guy, I mean, yeah, he, like you said, he came out, I mean, he was a guy who actually, he was one of those Bush North guys who found a second calling in Bush North. He found it was a place he could find a kind of a second career. And he eventually kind of phased more into like a, like a driver development road course ringer sort of role over the years. But he was one of those people who found, you know, he, he wasn't going to go to the big leagues cause he just didn't have the money to do it, but he could come up, he could get a stock car and he could run competitively with some of the best races of the Northeast. Cause at the time that's where, you know, I mean, your, your stock car series were great, but that was where everything that was at where, you know, those guys started off there and kind of worked their way up to wherever they could get you didn't see you didn't see careers necessarily progress beyond there sometimes but i think again it was there was an interview uh, another interview of Andy Austin's with Pete Silva where Pete kind of talked about he he took a trip down south for a spell and he did a lot of racing down south from as a guy who had grown up in Maine and one of his comments working with with Bob Presley years back and he said the difference between a lot of the northeast guys he said we all had day jobs and we were we raced on the weekend for fun he said, "Down south, the guys, the guys in the south mostly 
they racing was their job if they you know when but when i want to race against bob presley he was pissed off because i was taking money off the dinner table and for me it was just a trophy so that's kind of an interest and if you look back you see a lot of that in that's one thing i think over the years it's hurt the northeast in a sense is a lot of the guys up here you know i mean even even Derek griffith who was a rising star from the northeast now but he's still a guy who works a day job. He works on his own cars. He builds his own cars. He, I mean, it's not something where he just, you know, I mean, he, he can't, like he said, he, he said, we're comfortable. We have the equipment we need. It ain't always pretty, but we have what we need. But at the same time, they don't have dollars and dollars and dollars fueling that, that effort so that they can just show up at a track and, and beat everybody. You know, I mean, it's a stretch to do that. They finished ninth in the snowball derby this year in, on their own dime basically i mean that's pretty given given the resources they come to the track with they pulled down there in a dually in a in a trailer i mean that's pretty com- compared to some of the to, compared to some of the operations i mean they went toe-to-toe with kyle bush they went toe-to-toe with carson hosevar and some of these guys that come in with big but with rather big budgets so a ninth place is basically a victory for those guys Yeah, I mean that's you when you think about the snowball, it's one of the most competitive fields that you're you have to go and make to get the to get into the big show, uh whether you qualify on time. Qualifying on time means something at the snowball. Uh to have to go and get into a last chance. Uh Clyde couldn't do it. Uh, some of the other big names couldn't do it. Some people had to take provisionals that are big names. So it speaks to that. Um, I figure um, we'll kind of go into some of the Northeast because we talk about tour type modifieds, which have moved down South. Uh, Josh, I'll throw to you. Uh, You've I'm sorry that I haven't been able to, it's probably no, because I'm tired, but I we could talk Bobby Labonte. Uh Bobby Labonte announced uh, on uh, social media today that he's going to be running uh, tour type modified uh, in the southeast uh, this year in the southeast tour, uh, whatever the I don't know what they call the deal if it's the south south the the wheel and modified south tour it's smart now right i think they revived yeah, it the smart year. tour yeah <laughs> so he's yeah so he's going to be running yeah he's going to be running a a car that basically looks like his bush series championship car from 1991 uh got a got a like from uh, Bob Dillner uh, on my uh, tweet that I I wrote earlier. Um, thinking about Bobby Labonte and what he's done, he's 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 a legendary driver, Cup Series champion, won the Coca Cola 600, should have won it more than once. Uh, Jimmy Johnson took it away from him in 05. Um, his last win probably should have went to Bill Elliott, but hey, whatever. He got his last win, and they're going to get to race each other in SRX uh, with with um, Marco Andretti, who's going to probably finish dead last uh, in the SRX because he sucks. Um, but 
thinking about Bobby Labonte and running tour type modifieds, I mean, that's a different level right there. That's a different level of competitiveness for sure. Yeah, I mean, for him, uh, you know, he's been a championship driver in the past, and I, you know, I have no doubt that, you know, he'll be successful in uh, this tour. Um, and he's got sponsorship too with uh, Cookout, uh, which is a pretty good restaurant down uh, down in the south. Although I don't know if they're in Florida or not, but um, um, you know, he made a start in uh, Bowman Gray. Uh, and I guess he competed last year, like you said, at Florence in South Carolina. And, you know, he had a track record there and led a lot of laps. Uh, so, I mean, you know, he seems like he's quick to adapt uh, to the modified cars. And, you know, I mean, they even down south, like at New Smyrna during the uh, world, I guess the World Series of Asphalt, they've they've had modified races here uh, or up in New Smyrna, and it's um it's been I mean those races have been pretty entertaining too, and you know you've seen like guys like Ryan Priest uh, be able to uh, win races down there, and that's I think that's kind of where I caught on to Ryan Priest too, as I remember watching a highlight video from one of the races a few years ago, and you know he uh showed he was able to show kind of like what kind of driver he was, and uh, he was able to like I think race up and get up and lead the race, and uh, I think he made like the race winning pass with like a couple of laps to go or something like that. And it was, uh, able to win one of the races during that, uh, week of the world series of asphalt there. Um, but I mean, you know, in the South, I mean, we have like, I guess, you know, Richie Evans is another guy to think about with uh, the modifieds and he's uh, obviously a hall of fame driver in, in the sport and made his name in modified. So, although, I mean, he's kind of like, more of like the traditional South as in like, uh, you know, like Virginia and, uh, all that stuff. And I mean, another, uh, guy to think of is like somebody like Ray Hendrick, uh, who won, uh, many races from the fifties and the seventies, uh, um, basically, you know, anything, anywhere, uh, with, uh, the modified cars. Um, you know, there's, I mean, I guess, I mean, for the South, uh, it's not as quite as popular, I guess, in the north. But I mean, you know, there's definitely been guys throughout the years who have uh, made managed to make their name either starting out here and I guess in the south with the modified tour, or, or eventually just in, matriculated up north. Yeah, um, Josh uh, or Josh, Josh, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to go and throw to you because you know we think about tour type modifieds and we were talking about ryan priest you think about steve park you talk about all the great names uh josh mentioned of course the great richie evans hall of famer um all the other guys jerry cook and mike stefanik mike mclaughlin spencer jeff bodine etc etc there's been a lot of guys but now you're talking about a a guy in Bobby Labonte who's done work in, uh, he's the first, he's, he's always going to be the guy that was the first guy to win a Bush series title and a cup series title together. Uh, he built Joe Gibbs racing. He was a big part of what Joe Gibbs racing is today. Um, now he runs the, a now he runs in the, um, series with like the, V-Rock 
where they run classic cars with the likes of Willie T. Ribs and other people. Um, the 48 Xfinity car uh, with Barchetta is connected to the that whole deal with the V-Rock. Um, I mean, Bobby Labonte remarried. He's in a different place in his life. He's recently got into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Uh, him and his brother are there together. So thinking about that now, to go and at this point in his life, to go and transition into a tour-type modified deal, thinking about that, I mean, it's, it's pretty difficult because the these cars are are really really hardcore pieces of machinery they are there's a lot that goes into and you know and we kind of up here there's sort of a i I always talk about it being kind of like a religion where you know on the on the message boards back in the late 90s you could be you could be a, a stock car fan you could be a modified fan but never the two shall meet. It was just kind of like religious battles. Oh, no, no, you can't have fenders on a race car. Proper race cars don't have fenders. Oh, no, stock cars rule. Modifieds are terrible. Why can't I like both? And, you know, I mean, they're both great. They're both great cars. I mean, modifieds up here have have a special attraction. I think showing up at Loudon, doing what they used to do at Loudon certainly didn't hurt. And we've also, you know, modifieds have also exported a lot of talent. It's making them for Bobby Labonte to make the move to modifieds actually really is kind of intriguing because it's not a native. I mean, modified, obviously the, the modern, the mod, the history of the modifieds roots them deep in the South, of course, but the modern era of the modifieds, it's kind of been a Northeast discipline. There's been a presence in the South, but never, never an overwhelming presence. And it's kind of in pockets. It's not something you'd see. You're not going to see tour types at a weekly track. And up here, there's a few of, uh, you know, uh, Stafford, Thompson, both host weekly modified races. Um, You've got tours that, you know, you've got tours that you've got the new tri-track open modified series. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one up here. There's been... It basically grew out of it grew out of a couple super fans who funded a few big dollar like five six thousand dollar to win modified races and basically took the took the reins off said come on down minimal rule book come and come and race let's have some fun and out of that we got a legitimate tour where you have the wheeling guys coming down to run it you've got the sk guys from stafford and thompson coming to run it it's there's a lot there's just so much uh, so much talent in the series and i just for Bobby Labonte to run something like that is actually kind of, an, I, I, like I said, it's kind of intriguing. It's like, wait, okay, you know, I mean, go have some fun. There's nothing that drives quite like a modified, and I think he'll enjoy, certainly enjoy it. And if it can, you know, if if maybe that name power helps modifieds to get a little bit of a hold back in the South, that wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world. I mean, it's, they wanted to, you know, last year we were supposed to see a, uh, Whalen tour race out in an Iowa speedway, which I thought was kind of a stretch. I, a lot of people wanted to travel to that one because Hey, Hey, why not? You know, it's another opportunity to race at a great track, but it's not a, it's not native to the region. It's not, you know, you're not going to get, everybody's traveling from somewhere to get there. So I, I wouldn't be averse to seeing tour type spread like that. It's just a, just a question of how, because again, you can't have, 
it reminds me of like when every track wanted to try a truck series back in the late 90s because nascar was working on it and you know we have our local tracks like oh we're going to run a pro truck division and we're going to start with this exhibition race and they'd send two guys with truck body late models out on the track and that was all you ever saw was an exhibition a 10 lap exhibition with two trucks and because they can never get 10 trucks they can never get five trucks so hopefully hopefully the car counts are there the bases are there i mean hey they've had nascar had a presence down there not long ago you've got bowman gray obviously so there's potential i'd i'd love to see you know i'd love to see it grow as long as of course as long as selfishly as long as it doesn't impact adversely what we have going on up here though at the same time you do have to wonder with the changes that the modify that the nascar tour is going through this year you have to wonder if maybe maybe there is some potential that things are going to change a little bit and i guess only time will tell on that front yeah it's it's something that you know when it comes to bobby labani you think about texas terry he held on for many years after his quote you know air quote retirement uh in 2003 to go and let kyle bush or 2004 or yeah 2003 and he ran 2004 and then he kind of uh, quote retired in 2005 to go and let Kyle Busch take over the five car and they made the 44 and he drove around for God knows how many years driving around and it started in the Hendrick car and got into shittier cars with like go fast and Bobby did the same thing he those past yeah. champions provisionals were a hell of a drug. <laughs> that was that's basically you know Bill Elliott did a little bit of that too. It was the 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 lore of having that past champions provisional was currency, and you know I mean I guess you can't. It's one of those things like the old uh, the old thing where Michael Caine said about one of the Jaws movies. Oh, I haven't seen the movie. I heard it was horrible, but I've seen the house that it built, and that was yeah. wonderful. That's kind of what, unfortunately at that point you know can you fault them for cashing in? I mean hey if somebody. If there's some, it's like a, I hate, you know, coming back around, but it's kind of like a charter. If there's, if there's value to it, then there's value to it, cash in. And that's what Terry, Bobby, a lot of guys did that in that era. If they were, they, if they were champions, provisionals were going to get unused. And those, those new teams basically at that time needed that champions provisional guarantee themselves in the show. Well, they, I'm, that's just business. Yeah. It's, we don't it's have to a, like it, but it's just business. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a product of how things are, and you know, you you look at the way you know how things have been and where we're we're going in 2021, and hopefully, uh, uh, we'll we'll be able to go and transition and and deal with things and with protocols and the whole bit we might be able to get back to the racetrack and uh fully enjoy what we love most in regards to um motorsport oh absolutely Uh, the last year and a half the last year and a half i've had a huge asterisk i mean you know i went to i i'll tell you a couple i mean a couple quick stories i went to you know the first race i covered that i did last year was a grand state pro stock race and so you know we're at the track and then one thing i was asked was you know try to avoid photos of the pit area keep the photos to the track and a lot of tracks were doing that because they just didn't want they didn't need to invite 
additional criticism at the time of any photos of people that were not masked at the track. It was just, you know, I mean, it was, I, I say it, it's not really, I, I wouldn't really say it's much of a secret. It's just kind of common sense. People are going to complain if they see something. So, and obviously, you know, a lot of racers are not, are not always going to be on board with that stuff. And it's been a, it's been a challenge from an optics perspective, but I mean, I, I couldn't even get, in as credentialed media for the 250 last year the oxford 250 they the state of maine wouldn't really allow them to allow much in the way of media credentials but i bought a pit pass because that's what a lot of people ended up doing you know a lot of people ended up going that route and it's just you know this whole this whole thing this whole adventure it's unforeseen territory for everybody and it's everybody's trying to make the best of a bad situation so i hope i hope we can get to some you know i mean I really would love to see some, love to see some, uh, some return to normalcy. I'm not super confident, but we can, we can see. We got, got to cross our fingers and hope for the best there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that we have to, I mean, I'm hoping, honestly, to go to Pocono for one of the days. Um, I can't do both anymore uh, between my physical condition generally and also my liver. Um, I can't deal with two days of going in uh, anymore. Back years ago, I could. Back in my 20s, I could. Uh, but now that I'm on, I'm going closer to 40, um, going hard uh doesn't exist but even then also going i think about it in both ways i think about also being on the other side and being in the uh media center at pocono raceway and it's uh, you know the way things are right now hopefully uh people will be able to go and and uh not believe certain aspects uh certain um providers of information and just go and vaccinate and we'll be able to kind of get back to normal because the Australian Open starts on Sunday and Australia is basically back to normal um, and they've been there for a while uh, because of certain protocols being followed uh, unlike other places like the United States, England, uh, as as main examples but um uh josh i'll uh, throw to you uh when you think about next week we're gonna have the show next week uh probably at least one episode hopefully um definitely one episode uh we we're gonna have a guest on uh former somebody that's been on before uh, to kind of go and uh, preview everything, uh, might do two, uh, might do a live cast actually, uh, depending on what day we do it. But um, you're down there in Florida, Super Bowl uh, coming along. Uh, the amount of money to go to the Super Bowl is pretty expensive. Uh, somebody that wanted money, wanted to go there blew me off and I was willing to go and send him money. So it tells him, tells you how much uh, he really wanted to go to the Super Bowl when I was willing to throw him money. Um, 
what are you thinking for this coming week for speed week uh going and showing up for any of the action there uh i think potentially i did bring it up earlier like maybe the the clash something like that uh, after it'll be like in the, at the nighttime and i'll be able to maybe take off an hour early from work or something like that or i'll be able to make it in time to go um it'll be an easy advantage cheap enough to go to uh the 500 i mean i have no idea what the ticket prices are gonna be i mean i heard they're capping the number at like thirty thousand uh for attendance which is a lot but i mean it'll be spread out so uh you know it'll be i guess like the chance for uh interaction i mean you know there'll still be a lot of people to interact with but um, I mean, they'll hopefully be able to uh, enable all the, the protocols and everything like that. Um, but, I mean, of course, the experience itself, because it's not just the race. I mean, I, I went last year, and, you know, I was able to do everything, like, at the, the fan zone and, you know, do the uh, the midway stuff and all that before, uh, you know, before the race and everything and, and you know, meet people and, and stuff and uh, all that and that's part of the experience with the 500 and i'm not sure how much of that they would do this year if if anything um and even if they did something like that i feel like it it would be uh you know half-assed so to say or so to speak like you know like it would the the it wouldn't feel like it was before because you know like obviously you have to maintain the the mask mandates and uh social distancing and like that and um you know, it just wouldn't be the same in, from, I guess, the engagement uh, perspective. But uh, I'm not ruling out, like, some other races, like um, the maybe the Xfinity or the trucks or something like that. Um, I, I don't know about qualifying. Uh, I mean, about that. I mean, I don't know if I would just go for qualifying. But, I mean, there is the, the road course uh, event the week after and i've considered going i haven't made a decision yet i don't know what my calendar is going to look like for uh that weekend uh just quite yet but um i mean definitely thinking about just probably the clash at at the very least uh just to see it i mean it'll i feel like it's going to be a little bit maybe quality wise it'll be a little bit better than the uh actual points event um, because I feel like the most of the drivers uh, in the clash uh, are a little bit better quality. Obviously, they're uh, the top tier of the series uh, for the most part. So I, maybe from a racing perspective, you know, it would actually be kind of the best of the best without all the also rands and uh, all and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out. But I mean, I'll let you know like uh, what my plans are uh, eventually. Um, I guess as uh, the days go by. Yeah, we'll we'll play it by ear. Um, we're definitely going to be on uh, here next week to go and talk about everything Daytona uh, Speed Week because it's not even a week anymore uh, when it comes to everything that's going to be going on. It'll all start. Um, and um yeah i mean that's exactly what i was talking about because i can't type that quick uh, um but um talking about speed week uh you know the it'll start with the clash qualifying 
the clash on Tuesday, qualifying on Wednesday, uh, duels on Thursday, trucks on Friday. Um, then there will be a double header, the ARCA, which is going to be a cluster. And then the Xfinity race, which will be a cluster in its own right. Um, but we will see how that whole thing goes. And then, uh, of course, the Daytona 500 on Sunday, which I have to um, take off because, well, not only, not just because it's the Daytona 500, Valentine's Day. Um, um, you know, it's the, it's the great American race, even though it's not really a race. Um, at this point, uh, I guess I'll throw to you, Jeff. Uh, you know, what this race has become, it's basically become a demo derby, uh, but it's still the Daytona 500. Jeff Bodine won this race back in 1986 when I was less than a year or just over a year old. Um, but, you know, it, it, you think about other Northeast guys that run it, but, you know, it's the Daytona 500. It still means a whole hell of a lot. And for guys that didn't win it, it's like, oh, the race that they should have got. And for the likes of Derek Cope and Michael, Derek Cope, who's got a guaranteed spot in this race, like 85 years old. And like Michael Waltrip, who's never met a holy, put his thing into, um, he's got two. So, I mean, it's, it, it means something. It makes you relevant for sure. It does. It's a, it's a race that it's one of those things where the the fickleness of racing being what it is now. I mean, you know, like you said, there there's a plate racing carries a certain demolition derby aspect to it. I don't think it necessarily cheapens winning a plate race. I mean, there's you know they used to you know they used to always or a super speedway race I should say in today's parlance. But uh, you know, I mean, they never they always used to list off the the one time winners. You, you had names like you know. Well, Pete Hamilton won a 500, 1970, I think that was. But you had guy, you know, you had guys like Richard Brickhouse, Bobby Hillen, who won a single career race, and it was a play, and it was a a big a super speedway. And so, you can't. I don't think that it diminishes an individual win in the 500. But at the same time, I can't really like I can't hold it against Tony Stewart for not winning a 500 because you're there so many times, and a lot of the time, the thing that takes you out is something not of your own making. And Mark Martin had complained about that in an interview one time. He said, you know, the tough part about plate track racing is you can't, you can't use the skill that you have to avoid the skill and the experience you have is largely meaningless. When that crash comes, you end up with the, you know, you could just as easily end up with a, a race. Like you remember the Bush race in O2, I think it was O2 when 30 cars were taken out in the first five laps of the race and a start and park car end up finishing third because they, they realized, well, shoot, I guess what's the point of parking now? And we can definitely get a top 10 out of this deal. It's the 500 and it's, it is, it will all, it's always got a certain part of motorsports lore. It's a certain part of stock car lore. If there's a race, you can walk away and say you won. Yeah. You want to win it. Of course you do. And whether whether it be by you know whether it be by chance whether it be by fortune whether it be by driving through somebody to do it the trophy still reads the same there's no ask they don't put asterisks in the record books usually so yeah i mean it's it's a 500 i'm 
it's one of the races that I, you know, I used to actually kind of coerce people to come over to my house and watch it. And obviously this year we can't really do that, but I'll certainly, I'll certainly be tuned in and the, you know, the, the lead up to it, the, the lead up to it's always fun. I did kind of joke our, uh, the iRacing league that I'm part of, we we're discussing doing a, um, an endurance schedule and we've got a race scheduled Monday night. I said, you know, guys, that might not be so kind to our significant others because we're pretty much going to disappear from Friday night through Sunday on Valentine's day weekend to watch race cars. And we might want to not race on the Monday, the 15th, so we can at least make up to it. And I got, I got laughed at. So I think we'll be, uh, we'll be doing some endurance laps around the Daytona road course that Monday night, but we'll see. I'll have to, I'll have to make it up to the wife a little bit. (laughs) But no, the 500, it's a, sorry, I had to take a drink there. The 500 is, yeah, it's, it's the big one. It's, it's what everything, it's an, it's a unique thing that our, that our sport starts with its biggest event. And that's, that's part of what made, part of what adds to the mystique. I just, I hope Priest makes the field that that's going to feel a little hollow if he, if he goes home early and I don't know, I'm, I'm not that I'll, not that I'll lose sleep over it, but yeah, it's still it's still a minor frustration. One of those things that one of those things that you'll just kind of you know you'll stew over and it'll be forgotten by the next week. But it'll it'll just be a momentary frustration if it happens because he he could have very well have a shot of pulling off a win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a product of the Great American Race. They went and replayed it, you know, when Austin Dillon ran over Eric Almirola. Um, and he won that race and everyone act like it was an amazing thing. And you think about the year before when, uh, hard R ran out of fuel on the final lap and Kurt Busch and, uh, old man won the Daytona 500 after yep. all those years of trying, um, his whole family, what they've went through and what they've done and Arca and everything. And, he went and won that race with um, uh, with Kurt Busch, and I forget that that loser out in Kansas that that Twitter um, that uh, Twitter jockey was it Josh something not I forget what the hell his name is. Uh, he's he's a real cocksucker, but uh, he'd block everybody that would go and question him. Uh, he was he was supposedly a thing for a while. Um, he went and was like, oh yeah, Tony Gibson was a bad, he said something about Tony Gibson being a bad crew chief for Danica Patrick and that he had never done anything, even though he was a part of a championship team with Alan Kowicki, albeit he was a gas man, but he was a part of a championship team and he had done good things in, um, in NASCAR as a crew chief and in general, um, I'm forgetting his name, but he's a tool. This, this Justin Tucker. I know who you're talking about. Justin Tucker, I think, is his name. Yeah, he's a he's a inbred from uh, Kansas. But um, what were you going to say, Jeff? I was going to say it's uh, that's one thing that I've been thinking about too. Is that it's just so challenging now to judge dry, raw driver ability. Like you, you want to be able to, but there's you know, like uh, here's an example. You know, you you got Ryan Priest right now, and people will say, oh, he well clearly he's not he's not capable well he did just fine in a gibbs car but a jtg doherty car is no gibbs car a jtg doherty car is no hendrick car and 
it's such a you need such a happy confluence of your crew being 110 percent your team being 110 percent the driver's skill plays into it but you need so much luck to make, to to make it work and you, you know you think of a you know you think of a michael mcdowell i mean the guy the guy won races in arca which i mean you know say say what you will about that as a as a as a bar but with a couple twists could he could he look a lot better if he weren't running a front row car it's possible but we'll probably never know because the opportunity the opportunity to get that top flight ride some you know david reagan had a, a, a what two five or six rides uh in kyle's car when kyle got hurt and i mean is that really enough time to gel with an operation probably not in this day and age i mean even kyle even kyle struggled through most last year and i mean those those things happen but it's just so hard to just so hard to to pin a driver down nowadays and and likewise with a crew member you know sometimes it's sometimes it's just plain not a fit and tony gibson's a good case of that where you know danica had Danica had her opportunities, but she never really gelled with crew. I mean, you can't you can't knock all of those guys because they don't. I mean, Tony Gibson turned out to do just fine. He's it's just a you know it's a, a lot. It's you, you wonder sometimes if you could tease out how much is how much is luck, how much is fortune, how much is is skill in all. You know what what's the perfect what's the perfect match of the equation there? And I I don't know that we'll ever know. It's it, it depends. Some people, you know, some people can over some and some people can also achieve beyond, you know, we've all we've always observed drivers who can achieve beyond what's in front of them. They can achieve beyond, you know, people always used to say that of Earnhardt, that he could drive beyond what the capability of the car was. And that was what made him great. But can you do that nowadays? I don't know. Mark Martin says he that's part of the reason he stepped away was because he felt like his input didn't make a difference in this car. And his experience didn't make a difference in this car. And if that was the case, it was time to walk. And so that's how we lost Mark Martin to to the sands of time, so to speak. Yeah, but even for as great as Mark Martin was and for as much as Mark Martin has done in his legendary career, you can make an argument that he held on eight years longer than he probably would have in part because of his experience and his ability and all that. And fundamentally, in terms of his physical condition, he could probably kick most of these guys' asses still. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. But because of the Gen 6 car, with it becoming this engineering science, which, I mean, NASCAR Cup Series racing as much as anything – and maybe even other series has become more like Formula One. All the people that want to go and say, "Oh, they hate Formula One." It, it's Formula One. Um, and you can't put the, once you learn all that stuff, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. These yeah. guys, these guys were experimenting with aero way back when. It was just a question of quantifying it. And once you quantify it, yeah, you're not going to you're not going to find a way to diminish that. You can fight it, you can fight it, but that's what these guys are paid to do is figure out how to fight right back. Yeah, and. Uh, Josh, you're you're the guy for for our show in regards to the math, engineering, and all that. I mean, we think about you know the 500. It used to be about making a slick race car, making the fastest car, but really, it's it, it, you think about demo derbies and the whole bit, but 
you know, it's less about, I mean, the driving and more about luck, but it's also a combination of being able to put a car that can go and deal with the OSS and kind of go and deal with the things that you need to do, but it'll also be able to drive well, um, you know, in the draft by itself. There's different aspects that go with that. Yeah, I mean, in the back in the day, you know, like in the 70s and, you know, the 80s, like it was all about uh, finding the slickest uh, setup and everything. And, you know, with the, the old Ford Thunderbird and the Chevy SS, you know, like they had the the spoiler like down to like, you know, 45 to 50 degrees and it's pretty flat uh, for a spoiler setup. And now it's like it almost 90 degrees it's almost vertical completely um and that's you know that's just for the spoiler setup and um you know there's a lot of more i guess variability in the car setup than there is now uh but i mean there's still a lot of engineering that goes into it i mean there's you know they still have to go through the wind tunnel uh and or at least they did i'm I don't know if they still do now, but the you know, they still have to do all of that stuff and do all the calculations and and um, the the engines as they build them, they're able to uh, you know maximize I guess the amount of horsepower uh, and the amount of torque that it can produce and at at the uh, RPM rating that they need to be able to sustain uh, themselves during during the course of a run, um, but. There's a, a lot of uh, ability for you to get in a crash now and be able to come back from it and still be at least somewhat okay. Uh, you know, with the draft being the way it is, it kind of it, it used to be like you know if you got damaged, like you know you could still somewhat compete, but it wasn't as good as what it was before. And now, like you can be completely crashed and then come back from it and and uh, finish in the top 10 and i mean it's been a thing since the cot i feel like that's kind of the design of the cot i guess and the current cars they're just able to uh fix damage quickly and get back into the race which i mean is kind of a good thing but then um i feel like that also plays into the demo derby factor the fact that you know you can kind of get away with doing certain things and then if something happens uh you can kind of come back from it and you're um not as maybe set back as what you were before so i think that's part of it with uh, the demo derby is there's um you know for some of the cars I me mean, obviously there are cars that get taken out and they don't come back into the race but uh you know, with with uh, the way the damage, I guess, occurs, you're you're able to just slap some tape on it, maybe put a, a thing of sheet metal back onto it, and and get back out there. Uh, so that's you know played into it um, as much, and and um, it's still, I mean, it's still about uh, the draft and being able to time your runs and uh, being able to. Uh, figure out who to block and everything especially with the way the current package is but i mean as the asphalt ages with daytona and and with talladega i mean and maybe in another 10 years i mean it's been 10 years since the daytona has been repaved now which is crazy to to think about and it's been like 14 years for talladega but uh it's still uh handling will eventually be part of it i mean it kind of is now 
uh, it's starting to come back. But I think, you know, if they let it be for another 10 years, you know, it's going to start to look like the Daytona that was uh, around in, you know, the uh, 2000s, the late 90s with how races could get strung out and handling really became a factor. So, I mean, there's a lot of factors that kind of play into what we see today, but, uh, you know, it'll circle back eventually, but, you know, NASCAR will keep changing the formula for the car and, and um, you know, not sure if it's going to be for the best, uh, to be quite honest. It's something we'll be able to find out. I mean, there's going to be a lot of night racing uh, going into the 500 qualifying is going to be on at night uh duels are going to be at night uh they'll have day practices which will be earlier and around when they're gonna run the daytona 500 so we will uh definitely get into all of that here next week on the gsp we've done a couple shows so uh, that's definitely overachieving for us, uh, for me as well, because I'm busy as fuck. Um, the fact that I posted the show as quick as I did, I wanted to give myself a pat on the back, but it hurt because my, my right arm hurts. Um, I want to, uh, before we go, uh, Jeff, I wanted to give you a forum go and talk about where you're writing, but also go and tell us any um, interesting stories that that you have in regards uh, to some of the Northeast guys that we, the theoretically we would know, but maybe I, I, I think for me personally, I give us something that, you know, the real diehards, like for both Josh, for all of us, real diehards. Do you have any stories, anything, connections that you've made over time? And then let us know where we can find you, follow you the whole bit. Sure. I mean, that's, I'm still, I'm still kind of new to the pit racket myself. I'll admit, I mean, I, this is something that came up in the last few years and it was only really, it was only really 2019 that I started taking taking advantage of being able to get down in the pits and start start meeting people start talking to people and there's just some you know spending spending your time down there you do find and this is new england racing's always been kind of blue collar at heart and that's that's i think one of the one of the things that's kind of interesting you see guys you, you do see guys like Derek griffith who are trying to trying to get up trying to move some move along move somewhere if they if the opportunity arises and i always i always say you know it would be great for them to do so if it doesn't the world the rest of the racing world loses out but we profit we get we get somebody who we can consider our next big star for the foreseeable future there's been some you know I, there's been some great moments in the pits i was kind of shadowing a team at the oxford 250 so to speak on and you know they're trying to they're trying to just get the car in the show and they finally they were just about they were just about two spots away from making the field in the Concy. They it was a 25 lap qual last chance race to make it in the show and they missed it. And one of the crew one of the kids who was a crew member he's a uh, he races super modified full time locally here weekly. And he was he was saying afterwards he was kind of joking about it on a podcast. He was saying you know the the one thing that's kind of a downside is 
if we had made the race, I was committed to spotting in the race immediately before the 250, and I'm the only one who had ever been in the 250 itself. So I was going to have to actually try to help get these guys organized enough to be able to make the race. And they were talking about it afterwards. And one of the one of the guys who was helping on the crew said, "You know, he said we're a bunch of we're a bunch of 20 somethings who you own a race car. We showed up here in a in a pickup truck and two trailers because the one trailer you had isn't big enough for all our equipment." We across the way, there's a couple teams at stacker haulers that are put, packing up and getting ready to head out of here that didn't make the race either. We did this on a shoestring and we almost made the field. And they came back in the fall. They just about had a seventh place finish for them and they got wrecked on the last lap and 150 lapper. So that's it's like, you know, you, you see the highs, you see the lows, but at the same time, they're having a ball. So so you can't uh, you can't help. I've, I find those stories those stories are actually more interesting to follow and more interesting, I think, to write because people get, you know, every, everybody reads about the big guns. Everybody reads, you can read something about Bubba Pollard every week. You can read something about Ty Majeski every week. You don't get in touch with a guy like a Bobby Timmons that's building, that's building super modifieds in his, in his race shop and trying to do something, do, doing this because his dad and his grandfather raced super modifieds before him. And the only track that races a super modified on a weekly basis is an hour and a half, two hour drive for him each week. That's and awesome. he makes that drive gladly because he gets to race a super modified. And you know, he's sit, sitting back. He's, he's saying, you know, people make fun of me because I drink truly. So I, I drink truly's instead of beer. But he says, you know what? I drive an, I've driven a 950 horse super modified at Thompson so they can go pound sand. <laughs> but but I uh, but yeah, I've been for the last, well, I guess, probably almost three years now. I've been work, I've been writing for Matt Weaver and short track scene. Um, Matt gave me kind of a, a kind of an open forum to be able to tell no, tell the Northeast story. And I've gotten to do that. I've gotten to talk some, gotten to talk to some people over the years, and starting to starting to know more people. And hell, it's a lot. It's a you know, it's a lot of fun. And then I've got this little side, I've got this little side venture. We talk about, we use the word, or you were use the word historian. Um, I got involved with a couple of racers from this area, uh, Corey Casagrande, who's a super late model racer down at uh, down with the Grand State Pro Stock Series, and he runs some past stuff as well. He started up uh, when they didn't know what was going on with COVID. He and a buddy of his from Pennsylvania, Zane Farrell, and they put together a league, the NEP uh, iRacing League. And so we've been, I've kind of fallen in with that. I've I'd, until last year, I had never really screwed around with iRacing at all. I'm absolutely terrible at it, but getting slightly better, uh, getting better enough to get in trouble, which I guess maybe is a sign that I'm trending in the right direction. But we do, it's basically a Bushnor throwback league for all intents and purposes. We mostly, we run a lot of throwback paint schemes. We run races that are kind of targeted to the Bush, Bush North era. It's, we, you know, we try to keep that personality alive. We're actually, uh, we're fortunate enough. I, as kind of unofficial historian, I've been painting cars for the league. I've tell, tell a couple stories on the Facebook page. And now we've been doing kind of like a, you know, we kind of take it more seriously. We probably should, which means we've got post race reports and we've actually got a live streaming partner that's been streaming the races. So like tomorrow night we're racing at Myrtle beach. Um, another, another track that's gone too soon, but we're doing a race at Myrtle beach. Then we're doing trucks on Friday night. That's it the iRacing super speedway which is just basically we set up a truck league to try to test some things out and we're just having some fun with it it's like a team team based thing where all the top where it's not driver points it's team points so the top three out of your four teammates score points in the league so it's you know something else we could screw around with and now we're trying something with endurance racing which should be 
that should be a laugh, but um, we're going to have some fun with it. But it's, uh, you know, just a way to keep telling those stories. Corey's, uh, you know, Corey's cousin was a Bush North driver. His girlfriend's dad actually won one of the first Bush North races ever in 1987. So it's kind of, you know, it's every everybody's got a connection, whether it be as a fan, whether it be as a driver, whether it be as a crew member, whether it be family, everybody's got a connection somehow, something, something about that series that was special to us or something about the modifieds. Even there's a little bit of that in there too. So, you know, it's, it's being able to tell these stories and keep, keep the oral history like guys before us did, you know, I mean, there's never a lot of money in keeping history, I guess, but, but somebody has to tell these stories and somebody has to, somebody has to keep these going for the next generation. This is what we I saw somebody on a forum who got a little bit testy about it one time. He said, you know, the, the current drivers suck. You know, the, they'll never compare to a Jean-Paul Cabana. They'll never compare to Dave Dion. These no, it's like, it doesn't matter. They're our drivers. We have to make them compare. We have to tell those stories. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I want to – real quick, I just want to ask, like, if um, – because I'm on iRacing too. Like, so somebody like me wanted to try to get involved in uh, that iRacing league. Like, like how would uh, I go about that if I was interested? Um, the um, It's called the NEP League. We do have the uh, – well, the, our primary series is the NEP Shift Grand National Series. Um, it's up on Facebook. We don't have a huge presence. I think we're pretty much – I mean – we're kind of wrapping our main season down and we'll probably, uh, we'll probably start looking. I we generally cap it at about 25 to 30 people. So, I mean, we kind of keep an eye out over the, t- over the, over the years, see how, see how it goes, but we're probably going to, we're thinking, we're kind of th- anticipating a little bit of a wind down as we get closer to real racing season. Cause that's most of the people in the league, actually, you know, they, they have super late models, they have modifieds, they have street stocks. Some of them, um, uh, some of us just go to the racetrack and pretend to know something about race cars. So I don't know. We're really, rec- we're not really in the recruiting phase per se, but certainly we, appre- Hey, we appreciate the support and we, we like people getting, you know, even if it, even if it means tuning in and seeing what look like a bunch of Bush North cars, you know, we've got somebody, somebody who runs a number 64 Dick trickle Dura lube car. And I've been running uh, Brad Layton's co-ed naked car this year for, for kicks. It's been fun. Uh, We've got a you know, little, little throwbacks to everything, and that's just kind of ways to. We've got a race of Talladega coming up, and I'm thinking maybe whipping up a Bobby Gerhart lookalike just to try to get some uh, get some of his super speedway skill. Uh, see if oh, it rubs off. Yeah. <laughs> go and run a go run a uh, Frank Kimmel and let him actually win a. Well, they, he's won a Talladega. But the problem, I, the problem is my car number because I'm running the latent scheme. My car number is 55. So, and that I did. Yeah, I, you can run the five. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can double the. I can double that. I like all the West race. We did some West Coast races this year, so I ran a Spears number 55, which, you know, I mean, it's yeah, it's supposed to be a 75, but you, yeah, you were, it's kind uh, of reach, but yeah, you can do it. You can go and that was when Kevin Harvick had hair too. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Thank you, Jeff, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to go and do more bench racing over this year and many years to come, not only on the GSP, but whatever, because uh, definitely had fun uh, tonight, and um, I I hope that you and Josh can connect, and eventually I'll be able to connect as well on the driving side where I'll probably be absolute trash 
but I'll have so much fun it won't even matter on the uh, sim side. Uh, speaking of the sim side, where uh, can we follow you, Josh, in terms of your Twitch stream, uh, social media? Where can we follow you so we can see what's going on? Yeah, as always, uh, you know, with uh, the, we'll start with the Twitch. Uh, on Twitch, uh, I'll be streaming iRacing. Um, there's no specific schedule or anything. It's just kind of whenever I, I do it. But um, just so I guess just make sure to turn on your notifications, I guess, uh, whenever I go live on that. So, you know, when I do, um, the videos are up there as well. But it's uh, twitch.tv slash usailor2. And then the Twitter uh, page is twitter.com slash at JP Huffine. Uh, so that's where you can find me on there. Um, you know, just general takes on on the sports world, really, uh, for the most part. And, you know, that's where you can engage with me on there as well. All right. So, yeah, you can go and follow you on your uh, Twitch streams. Your, I mean, uh, Josh is competitive on there. Uh, you know, can't, can't do anything when it comes to some of the crappy driving standards which both you and Jeff understand uh, I'd probably be guilty of that uh, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing it's kind of like my bowling game which I love bowling and I still after 20 uh, now going into my 26th year of bowling I still don't know what the hell I'm doing from shot to shot uh, but Hey, you know, it, it it is what it is. It's why uh, we're here doing our thing. I love racing. I love uh, all these other things, bowling, all the whole bit. So, um, you know, that's what life is all about, living it up, going and having fun, doing what we have to do to uh, for to take care of one another and each other. Um, you can follow me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter, um, philipgmatthew.com. You can find the podcast, and hopefully uh, now that we're getting closer to uh, racing season, really getting going, uh, I'll start writing again if I have time, which is uh, borderline. Uh, you can find our podcast uh, at grip strip pod on twitter uh, capital g s and p uh you can also um find it on uh, spotify apple podcasts app amazon music uh, multiple other places as well uh you can find the uh, grip strip podcast and we will be back next week to fully um, get into this whole NASCAR season. All three series, we'll talk about Cup, Xfinity, Trucks. We will uh, get into any other news that's going on across the world of motorsports. But we'll definitely spend time talking about all big three series and give our picks for all the races that will be going on next week. So um, thanks to Jeff Brown for coming on. Uh, thank you, Josh, for everything you do every week for us here on the GSP. I'm Philip Matthew.
thank you so much for listening, downloading, doing a whole thing. Stay safe, social distance, wear a mask, take care of one another. God bless. Good night.